Then there's that guy at work who is relentlessly upbeat. He dances in the aisles to the soundtrack of a place as it is comprised of the hits of the 80s and 90s. He finds a joke in most interactions. He has a glass half full perspective, even in the most dire circumstances. He has what seems to be endless energy. You want to kill him or embrace him in equal measure. I'm that guy. Despite being him most of the time, I'm getting tired. Sure, I'm a half century old and the natural decay of the body requires more naps, but the tired I'm feeling is that of existential fatigue, a weariness of the soul. The pause Sisyphus takes in between pushing the huge boulder up the hill as it rolls back down again and he breathes in a ragged breath, lets out a shoulder-shaking sigh and trods back down the hill. I don't feel this way often, as I am that guy. I am feeling it more often lately. Oh, you folks are still doing the mask thing? Yep, Nevada still requires them. Probably a good thing. Most states are tired of it. Most people are tired of it. Numbers don't lie. Nevada numbers are lower than the current spikes in the Midwest. Of course numbers lie. The infection rates are all fake. You see, the insurance companies pay out more if the cause of death of COVID is so... I struggle to find the humor in the moment. My heart gets heavy. Frustration. The fucking boulder rolls down the hill, and I wonder if I have the grit to go down and roll it up the hill again. I've read about pandemic fatigue as if a virus gives a good goddamn how weary we are of it, as if nature gives two shits about our state of mind. But I understand pandemic fatigue. I also understand social media fatigue, Donald Trump fatigue, election fatigue, climate change fatigue, extreme left fatigue, extreme right fatigue, advertising fatigue. I see it in the eyes of people everywhere in their behavior. Amy, the registered nurse, nurse with anxiety issues before all, all of this, betting recklessly at the sports book and asking anyone who will listen if they think she should go buy CBD to help. Wayne, a tourist van driver who hasn't seen a paycheck since March, sitting with his wife playing Keno, each button push a joyless effort. Jackson, my boss, losing his train of thought three times in a 20-minute meeting. Conspiracy theories are on a full tilt rise these days. People share them without thought because, while almost droolingly stupid, they explain this. This unexplainable state we're in is suddenly revealed through some guy on the internet detailing how Canada will lock down a third time and force through universal income and imprison dissenters. To be truly indefatigable, one needs to see beyond the eye's gaze. To envision a next Thursday when things are no longer assaulting your sense of place, your sense of security, your sense of reality. To resist fatigue, one needs to focus on simple things and create space. To fight it off, the reservoirs of compassion need to be uncorked. How? I think about this a lot. How to strap on that armor to prevent the decaying planet, the childish society, and the ever-present threat of everything from climate disaster to a possible second Trump term from overwhelming each waking moment with dread? Number one, stop doom scrolling. 
The news is supposed to be news, not a parade of despair designed to scare the fuck out of you. Check in with yourself. How do you feel before you open that New York Times app or Apple News and start the march of horrors? How do you feel after? You want to be in the know, but for fuck's sake, do it less. Two, focus on simple accomplishments. Back in the day, I lost 80 pounds, and for the past 14 years, I've kept it off. 185 is my go-to weight, but I shot up to 208 in the past year. I'm now working on paring it down, and each day I lose another half pound. It feels like I have a modicum of control. Working out has the same effect. My mom gardens. A friend makes YouTube sketch videos. My wife goes out and finds free stuff in alleys and behind stores. Someone knits. Others write their version of the great American novel. Do a few things daily that give you a sense of control of something, because everything else out there is well beyond it. Three, stop wallowing. A lovely friend back in Chicago touts the phrase, it's okay to not be okay, and he's correct. That said, it's not okay to be not okay and bathe in this fact. Not being okay, recognizing it, avoiding guilt over it, and allowing it to define your every waking moment are not the same. You feel anxious? Okay. So do things that relax you, but don't put on a t-shirt and carry a placard that declares how anxious you are. Bragging about how fucked up you feel is a narcissistic wormhole of which there is no escape. And finally, four. Fucking breathe. You're on edge. You feel out of control. Maybe you're a little desperate. Being a raging asshole is not going to help that in any way. That barista is going through the same thing. Fucking breathe and be cool. That woman at Walgreens is living the same COVID nightmare as you. Fucking breathe and be a better person for a moment. That guy who signaled wrong and cut you off is just as uncertain of our political future as, our, as, as you are. So fucking breathe and calm the fuck down. Indefatigable is a state of mind. It is, I'm exhausted, but I have to just go on a bit more. I've got just a little bit more gas in the tank. So why not? Why not be indefatigable? In every casino, in every corner of Las Vegas, is at least one bar. The idea is that if we ply the players with drinks, getting them lubricated with alcohol-infused dysfunction, they'll forget that they have a car payment and rent and spend that money chasing jackpots. It's a true and tried model that's worked for centuries. The paradox is that no one likes drunken assholes. We all love lovable drunks, but most inebriated people are anything but lovable like the beautiful manicured lawn in the opening shots of Lynch's Blue Velvet. Underneath is a seething landscape of vermin and insects acting out the grotesque narrative of unfettered nature. That underground cesspool is often brought to the service as gamblers water it with cheap tequila and shitty beer. Aaron was a middle-aged cat with a bubbling personality. This guy was a sort who could likely talk his way into the thong underwear of just about any woman and had a million-dollar smile. I was outside in the Nevada fall smoking a pipe when he came up. Hey, brother, do you know where I can get a plate of, of, of white rice and chicken? I tried that place over there, and they didn't even have serve chicken on the bone. Can you believe that? You know of some place I could get a good plate of rice and chicken around here? 
Well, you need to take a cab, but there are a few places within a mile or so that would satisfy. Yeah, cab, that's the plan. What are you smoking? That smells good like my uncle or something. I recommended a couple of places. He took note. Two hours later, it came in with a huge to-go bag from Chili's. I was lying about the chicken, brother. And I got a girl in there who was hungry. He pronounced it hungry. So I broke it down with some chilies. Funny thing to lie about, but I'm in Vegas where lies go down as smoothly as a shot of bullet rye. The next day, Aaron was in the sports book betting on college football in the evening's World Series. He was playing video blackjack and drinking comp vodka cranberries. Hey, Uncle Don, you back already? A few hours later, I get the call. A guest has lost his wallet and needed a floor manager. It's Aaron. He's still smiling that panty-soaking grin, but the tone is different. Drunk and desperate. He lost his wallet, he tells me. He had some money in it, his ID. Later, he changes his story up. Now it was his wallet and a black leather zipper bag with $1,700 in cash, his credit cards, and five winning sports tickets. Even later, he starts coming in and accusing the bar staff of stealing his wallet and bag. For several hours, he goes back to his room, comes back a bit more drunk than before, and accuses someone else of stealing his money. The hotel manager tells him he needs some ID to get a new room key and that she isn't going to authorize security to keep unlocking his door every time he decides to come into the casino to accuse someone else of theft. After seven such escalating encounters, I step in. Aaron, enough! Your wallet wasn't stolen by our staff. You left it somewhere and someone snatched it. Leave my staff alone. This is it. Make your last case. Go to your room. Call Metro. Report the missing wallet. And don't come back in here. Last time. You come in here to harass my staff once more and I'm evicting you. End of story. A few hours later, the Las Vegas Police Department shows up looking for him. He called. They came. And he had stuffed duct tape in his hotel door so it couldn't be closed and left. What a monumental waste of time. One thing about Nevada they don't tell you about is the wind. When it blows here, it blows hard. With nothing to impede the onslaught, the wind is brutal. At the casino, when it blows especially strong, the power glitches. All the slot machines reboot, and those of us on the floor then have to go around and reset every last one of them. That afternoon, the wind took our slots out. Three of us dutifully opened each one up, reset them, checked the rest, and move on. The, at the bar is a guy I'll call Gus. I never caught his name, but Gus will do. Gus has had a few cocktails and is a bit slurry. He's trying to figure out where to feed the video poker, his 20, and can't seem to understand that the machine is down. He looks at my black cocktail waitress and barks, Are you one of the help? Before she cuts his throat, I intervene. The machine's down. Let me help you out here. Also, don't say like shit like that, okay? What? What do you mean? Calling a black woman the help is bound to get you gutted. And it's obnoxious. He sits with the indignance of a liquored-up bigot and complains about the machines. You don't make it easy here with all these broken games. I come here a lot. That's the first time I've ever seen him. And all these games are broken. How do I know I'm not being cheated? It is Consuela, not my Latina bartender's name. Water down the drinks? I'm in a hurry because I have another 50 slots to reset, so I let it slide. We have a second power outage about three hours later. 
I'm neck deep into some progressive game with a big-tittied Egyptian woman and tigers when I hear some louder-than-usual voices. One of them is by bartender's suddenly furious bark. Over at the roulette table is Gus, my bartender, and Hector. Hector is being implored to sit down by her while Gus is yelling and waving his arms. She's about three seconds from decking him, so I hightail it over. Whoa, Nelly, what's the issue here? Gus immediately turns and starts to yell. I put up my hand. No, 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 no. Speak. Don't yell. Hector pipes up. He called me a fucking faggot. Hector has the natural lilt of a stereotype, so it's not just an unintentional slur. My bartender confirms it. He called him a fucking faggot and has been screaming about being cheated by the machine. Gus is so drunk and so angry that his mask is limply swaying under his chin as he spews his excuses. This machine cheated me. This guy just keeps playing and I told him to stop playing. And he didn't do what he was told, so you threw out a little hate speech for emphasis? I never called him that. A random player at the bar turns around, nodding his head. Yes, he did. I turn on Gus. Stop talking now. I'm going to confirm you aren't owed any money from this machine. Then you're going to call it a night and leave. We don't tolerate that kind of bigoted slur in this casino, despite its appearance. Gus starts to whine, but I didn't do anything. Can I come back? Not tonight, you can't. You can't throw a party for people. Give them lots of free liquor and expect a room full of sweet, happy alcoholics. No matter what your intent, some folks just drink and their inner scumbag reveals himself. That's why I mostly drink at home. My wife already knows what a putrid dickhead I am. Peculiar Journeys is a weekly podcast featuring stories and thoughts from an arrogant, overly confident white guy. Lots of episodes were recorded while I was living in Chicago, and now I'm in Las Vegas. Check out donhall.vegas for updates, and subscribe at Apple Podcasts. <laughs>